This is The Limitless, the podcast between this week. Kate and I are talking to Jenny Upton. Because I have a background in Catholicism, and uh, yeah. and you do too. Did you grow well, up? I don't have no background. I came to it. I just slowly got interested in it. When I was young, I would read about people like Saint John of the Cross. I was very interested in what those days. But when I was young, um, just letting the cat out. Okay. Tell the cat to get. <laughs> um, yes. Um, when I was young, I liked Thomas Merton, who yeah. was the one Catholic who was acceptable to the counterculture. Because yeah. when I was young, I was anti-Vietnam War, all all those above issues, you know, that people in those days were. I'm not again. I'm still. I'm certainly not for things like that now. In fact, as as time went on, uh, we saw the problem with uh, what we call foreign wars, people going to the Gulf War, Gulf, Afghanistan. That kind of thing seemed to just get worse and worse, if anything. But uh, um, anyway, I, I like Thomas Merton. He, he was... He, when he started out as a Catholic, he was more, I guess he was more conservative if you read something like the Seven Story Mountain. Then he got very, very liberal. I probably, these days, I think he maybe got a little diverted by that kind of thing. He, he was a Catholic till the end of his life, I believe, but he really, he was getting into the thing, and this is something I have an issue with, that Christianity doesn't have enough, or something like that. Hmm. And th this is, uh, instead of saying, what, what, does, what does my tradition have? How can I tap it? And he, he would let the study of comparative religion divert him. It doesn't have, that's the reason comparative, what we call comparative religion is important. But it's important because so often you can see what's latent in your own tradition. What's what's latent? Did you say? Latent, yeah, latent. It, it's it's actually there, but you don't see it because it hasn't been brought out. Uh, that that's a lot. That's very true of the mystics in our culture. I think we we had we had to sort of go to the east to find some of this and. Uh, we can, we can actually. We, we're, our job now is to integrate, particularly uh, like the, the philosophies of Hinduism and that kind of thing. I, I know there's a thinker, a Wolfgang Smith, who's very much a Christian. He's a Catholic, and when he was young, he went to India and and met with a lot of the 
number of the gurus anyway there. And he, he feels like Justice Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, uh, brought in the Greek tradition, which was coming through and hadn't been known by the Christian world. Maybe it's our responsibility to see what it, how, how would we assimilate um, some of the Eastern philosophies. We, you don't go over to them exactly, like Thomas Aquinas didn't become a Greek pagan. He, he remained a Christian. But there's a way that that can be taken in by your tradition and absorbed. Now, whether or not our tradition is strong enough to do that kind of thing, that remains to be seen. But we, you know, that's that's the way it goes. I, I think this is one of the difficulties that I've had with um, Christianity and Catholicism. So I was raised as a Catholic, but it was my father who was a Catholic, and my parents were divorced when I was five, and I lived with my mother, who was very much agnostic. Ah. Uh -huh. Um, she, uh, you know, she would have a sense of spirituality, but very much a, um, a di um, disdain for organized religion, but pretty much oh, that because she felt that it just caused so much trouble mm -hmm. um, in so many ways throughout time and throughout the world. So that was probably more influential to me than my father's Catholicism was. Although growing up in a Catholic, going to Catholic school, I think one thing that I absorbed and still is very strong within me is a sense of um, the importance of being a fair and honest person. And, ah. and, you know, so there's a sense of one should, for me, one should do good. One should follow follow the example of Jesus. And um, so that's, that has stayed. But I think that one, as I grew older and was looking into different religions, um, looking into atheism, looking into Eastern religions, um, what I, what has troubled me most about Catholicism and Christianity is the sense that um, And this could just be my perception, but it's the sense that it is somehow, you know, my way or the highway. Like you have to either accept this, accept Christianity, or you're doomed to hell. You know, and and then okay, we have to be we have to save people. We have to be missionaries and go to primitive cultures and save them, or they're going to hell. And I think that what has troubled me very much about that, I've seen that as a more of, an, of a mission of the West to go to places where people live, in my opinion, closer to nature mm -hmm. and bring to them what is actually, the way I see it, a more materialist culture having to do with progress and you know and it's it's imperialist in in that sense from my point of view and so I think that that's what really 
one of the things that at the heart of it really has made Christianity or, or Catholicism difficult for me is the feeling that um, I, that I just don't trust that places where people are much live much closer to nature that they need this extra model of how to live. And I don't necessarily trust the motives of the cultures. It seems to me more of a cultural mission to bring a culture to a place that already has one. That's well, it. That's I'll, what I uh-huh. Well, let me respond to what I can. One thing, I want to start with, uh, all the religions say that they're basically the one religion, mm. even if they're not as missionary oriented as Christianity. And that has to do with a religion. The main pro- point of religion is to bring one closer to God, one's soul. That has to do with being closer to the absolute. And since a religion, if it's a real religion, uh, I mean, you can't make a uh, ping pong your religion really as much as some people try to do that kind of thing uh it it incarnates the absolute if you will and the reason that people say this is it is they're responding to that incarnation of the absolute and it takes a bit of doing uh, to say yes this is the absolute but what is the absolute where is it uh it you tend to think what you're doing is the best way to do things, for instance. You don't you don't say, I'm doing it this way. Well, my, my neighbor's living another kind of life. It's really not as good as mine. And and that's that's essentially the basis of why that would be done. Now, uh, the missionary thing, it, it, yeah, it's a problem. Here's the problem. Christian missionaries got to be missionaries for Western culture. I'm interested in Christianity. And when I say Christian civilization, I look at the the high Middle Ages, not because it was perfect. It was far from perfect. And you can can find upteen problems with it. But uh, we've, we've departed from that. Our modern progress, our modern materialism is not at all the values, the Christian values that were elaborated in the high Middle Ages. Uh, A lot of people uh, say, well, let's go back to early Christianity, particularly Protestants. And my problem with that is, what's early Christianity? If we feel far from something of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, think of how far we are from the ancient world. Uh, we, we, I don't think we're in some ways anything like, say, the early Christians. They, they were in a different world. They were different people. I'm not saying that there, there could be no affinity. I'm not saying if you could meet souls like that in eternity, there would be no affinity. Yes, there would be, but that would be eternity. That would not be the terrestrial existence that we face. And uh, I I, I have that, but but, but what I go back to, and we're close enough, is something like the high middle ages and and the whole 
there, there was a beauty in that culture, not just the Gothic cathedrals, but the Gothic cathedrals were very beautiful. There was a beauty in the devotion. Uh, there was a beauty in the devotion to the Virgin Mary, for instance, and all of that. And it was something that everybody could participate in to some extent. Uh, however much they did, I suppose, was up to them. And everybody looked. God was the center. It was a it was a whole civilization, and this isn't this is true of many civilizations where God was the center. Later on, we broke away from that, and uh, we're we, we we're getting a materialist center, and uh, so that and that's that is the that materialist centered culture is the one that we tend to bring to the rest of the world but that if we were more christian i think we would we would likely be more contained there's a good chance of that for one thing and um we we uh uh i don't know i can't say on a common level we would understand other civilizations that seems to be not not as it's not impossible but i don't know <laughs> yeah is this what you you talk about you've written to me in an email that um you're interested in the spiritual values of civil civilizational christianity yes that's what i'm talking about that that because because the, the civil the whole civilization and even your everyday life you would you would hear the church bells remember uh, there was a famous French painting I forget the name of the artist where he has these peasants they're out in the field they hear the bells ringing is it the Anglicus you know, uh, at noon and they they stop their work and they they kneel. When you have that kind of world, you're not you're not far. You're not far from remembrance of God. This is something that Sufis talk about. What it means to remember God, and what I'm talking yeah. talk, talking about is a culture where that is with you. Obviously, we don't we don't have anything like that in our everyday life now. Eh, we more remember money or something. <laughs> remember God. It seems that the Muslim Muslim cultures have that much more than the Christian. They actually do. Yeah, yeah. And there again, you can you can learn from other cultures what you need. You don't. You know, you can do that. So, so. but I guess one of the problems, and a lot of the problems that I have are, you know. Essentially, I mean, I think the path of religion mm -hmm. to bring one beyond rationality and mm -hmm. to, to its connection, but it's it's uh, there's this whole web of thought to pass through in the process. And I don't know if it's it's that comes from within me or if that's something that is part of part of the structure of it all um it's i mean one of the one of the traditions that i've been 
drawn to is Zen Buddhism. And I think that that is something that gets to the heart of, you know, trying to get through your rational mind to connect with the absolute. But it also, so in that way, I think it has its um, appeal to a more materialist society, materialist academic society. And, and all of the trappings and ritual of Christianity are something that in order to really, to really connect the absolute through that, you have to take it for granted rather than focusing on it as uh, something that you try to rationalize, something that you try to give meaning to. In the same way, the stories of the Bible, I mean, I think that this, get into this big like rational mess with Christianity in the modern world. And I, I am perfectly willing to entertain the idea that there's a way through that. But I, it's something that I would have to find my way through or that that would be a journey for me. For one thing, let's start with Zen. I know that moderns really love Zen. What they don't see is Zen works in a Buddhist culture or where everybody or a great many people are Buddhists. That, that's, that's, that's pretty much the orientation of their souls. When it gets imported to the West and breaks with its tradition, we've got a whole other ball game. It, 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 it ends up being a secular mysticism. And that to me is, it's a, it's a very real problem. There's a reason, there's a reason for religion. Now I know that religions as such don't quite fit into the modern world. A modernist actually has problems with all of them. But the religions are what they are. They're the, a, a tradition is the best path to God as far as I can see. And once you get into, say, modern mysticism, or whatever it is, it, 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 that to me is confusing. It, 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 I mean, uh, it can end up amping up modern value, modernist values that the person interested in this kind of thing is actually trying to get away from. Yeah, you and know. About, uh, about the ritual. The rituals are very beautiful. They're, they're, they're part, they're part of the tangible part of the religion. Uh, 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 like in the, in the Catholic tradition, the mass, the traditional mass particularly, it, 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 it's very beautiful. It's tactical. It, it, it's there and, and it, it brings out the depth in Christianity, you're talking about events, actual events, the nativity, the crucifixion, the baptism, and the ritual brings in the eternal aspect of all of this, the eternal aspect of the life of Christ. It, it, 
it can take you can separate your understanding of this from time and your understanding of life. Life exists in time and it, it, all, it exists in eternity at the same time. You just don't go into eternity after you die. We're all in eternity now, in the present. But that gets hard to understand. We, we are, we, because what happens in time is legitimately important. Uh, we, if we just tried to say we live in eternity now, not in time, that would be another issue. That would that, that wouldn't be reality. So that's important, but nonetheless, we get absorbed in it. I think. I, I mean, I, I do. Do you think that as you're talking about tradition? being the way to God, the way to the absolute. But do you think that Catholicism or Christianity um, allows or would agree that other traditions can also lead to God? Yes, Christianity as such, like, like the other traditions, uh, says this is the absolute. There are philosophers who hint at other openings. Um, that that might be more universal. And and there there are things like, you know, Dante had pagans in heaven and things like that. And uh, certainly um, someone like Meister Eckhart points toward the universal. I know that and sometimes Christians get squeamish, particularly about Eckhart. But on the other hand, yes, I would say that Christianity, like the others, center on itself, say it's the religion, it's the way to the absolute. And that is the way traditions are. But I do think, because I've, I, I, I respect writers like Fritjof Schuhen, Hossein, Nasser, Martin Lings, all of whom had great put great value on tradition, and I've been deeply influenced by those people. One drop of rain falling into the sea. You know I loved you strong for so long. I rise up slow and see myself.
wonder if there's something to the idea that if you are in the tra tradition, you have to be so committed to it that you see it as the only way, even if there are other ways at the same time, perhaps. Well, a lot of people do that. I'm not saying they don't do that. And yeah, and I, I, I'm not saying modernists are wrong to see uh, traditions, but the tra that doesn't invalidate the traditions. Like I say, uh, the writers I just mentioned help me understand how to how to align with the tradition. They were very good because they saw that if if you don't do that, you you end up in the whirlwind of modernist materialism. What far too many people and and trying to do Zen or yoga doesn't tend to save you from that. I, I really don't, or not most people, maybe there's some, maybe you know someone that that's not true of. You, you, there's always exceptions to every rule. Well, I think that there is a therapeutic spirituality has become very common. This idea of using um, spirituality as a way to, to, just as a therapy, to make yourself less stressed, to to do better in the world, and um, that you know, so that to me is a bit of a, 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 a that's a huge problem, and yes, yes, and I've I've found that recently in a lot of conversations that I've been having in the past um, year and a half or so, uh, there's a growing sense of, there's a growing sense of a driving force of te technocratic thought that seems to share the habit of wanting to control you know, what, whatever you, word you could give to it, nature, civilization, uh, try, trying to put a kind of a top-down control, and that can take the form of artificial intelligence, can take the form of geoengineering, can take the form of, you know, societal controls. And what I've, what I've been finding is that the people who are questioning this, myself very much included, are people who in one way or another have a have something else that they look to as a guiding force. And so I found myself becoming friends with a lot of Christians now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, Similarly, people who are um, people who are connected with alternative, what what is called alternative medicines, but traditional mm -hmm. medicines, more grounded in seeing the body's processes as uh, having a cohesive internal sense, rather than being a machine that you have to treat from the in a in a um, impositional way, which sometimes can be good and necessary. But I think the mentality that I see that 
one has to, that it is proper to interfere with what I see as an ex extremely complicated and beautiful uh, dynamic interaction dance. I, I see that as tremendously, uh, at the same time, both egotistical and tremendously naive. And, I, and the places that are proponents of that type of thought are all the places that have been formative for me in terms of rejecting religion, um, being analytical. You know, it's uh, academic, the academic world, it is um, NPR, you know, all these places that used to make so much sense to me now seem to be the very places that are supporting something that I see as essentially anti-life, anti-nature. And that makes me wonder, all right, what, what is it that I have been rejecting and where has that come from? I, I hear it, yes. Uh, that's, that's, that's a very problematical world you talked about. And it is, it is dominant. It, it's, it's, it's uh, what academia prevails, that, that kind of thing. I'm thinking when you say that, particularly about science, there's a contemporary thinker, a man named Wolfgang Smith, who uh, he uh, has a, there's a website, Philosophia, uh, that he talks with a lot. And he talks about the difference between science and scientism. He was a mathematician. He was a math professor until he retired. And so, and also he, he was one of the people who, you know, he's old, uh, in the old days, I think when, when they were trying to uh, figure out how to get rockets that had gone into space to come back into space and not, not either uh, uh, bounce off the Earth's atmosphere or burn up you know, safely come back into space. I think he was one of the people who worked on that problem. So he knows science and math. Uh, but he, he says that there's a difference between what he calls scientism and science. Science is just, you, you, look, you look at the facts, you see what's going on and all that kind of thing. Scientism is, is this, he, he calls it a religion, this whole thing well, well, science tells us this. Science tells us this about morality. And uh, science uh, tells us this about religion. And science uh, tells us, you, you hear that all the time. And he says, essentially, people begin to make what he calls scientism a religion in itself. That is a very bad religion. There's many religions that are going to be better, I think, than, than what we would call scientism. And I think what you're talking about are the fruits of, quote, that religion. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a religion of, um, it's materialist thinking. I yeah. mean, mechanistic materialist yeah. uh, rep and, yeah, mm. Me mechanistic thinking. Mm. This is... 
you know, we aren't really no different than machines. Systems are no different than machines. And we need to only figure out these systems and then we can be the engineers of the systems. And this yeah. is, this is very, and that, you're right, that would be blasphemy, right? Yes, yes, yes. it would be. Uh, now, our souls, we, we tend to think our souls are machines, finally, which is terribly destructive. We, we have bodies, but we do have souls, and they are not machines. The body itself, it's, it's not good to read even the, bo the body, which is in the material world, is a machine. It's not a machine. It's something else. And our souls are most certainly something else. When, what, the thing that has come up with in these discussions as well with the people who question, the people who have been questioning recently, you know, where all this is going and what energies are driving it is the idea that there is um, a sort of predator energy that is, uh, or something, you could call it demonic, you could call it satanic, that is behind um, behind this drive to to control to control uh, I don't know what you, everything and your your book which is an exploration of Dante's um, Inferno. Uh -huh. Seems well. It's it called. It's called Dark Way to Paradise. Dante's Inferno in light of the spiritual path. That has to do. I am guessing with finding, finding the light through going by going through the dark. Well, yes. That. Uh, am I on? By the way, you are. You are on. Okay. Uh, I am, uh, uh, that is what I was doing. And I, I, I started well with the darkness because I think in our time with the materialism, we're confronted. We can't blithely go along and ignore the darkness. It's going to come and grab us in one way or another. And uh, we have to sort of understand it to get through it, it it's an integral part of the spiritual path uh, in much the same way as a Jungian psychologist say that uh, you have to understand your shadow and mm. if you don't you, you, all kinds of other problems come along right now our uh, our whole culture is ending up being our shadow or everything you describe. And uh, some people are just going along with this culture, not thinking about it and accepting everything it does, whether or not they would actually value it. But that's, that's just one of those things. And uh, definitely, and darkness, dark, I don't know what to say about dark forces. They, they do, as you say, seem to be there. Uh, how descriptive? I, I, I don't know what to say right now. Mm -hmm. 
that darkness exists. Uh, I, I have a question. Uh, you said a, a, a little while back, Jenny, that the eternal that we're in eternity now, even though we're also in time. So that there is a physical dimension to eternity, or there is an eternal dimension to the physical realm. So I'm wondering if um, if the same is true of hell, because you write about hell after Dante, and of course hell is associated with the afterlife. But do you also look at, or have you also had a sense of how hell is also the, the, the it corresponds with our physical world or, or our social reality in in observable ways, or our yes. inner or our inner reality also. Well, hell, hell is its own problem. To say that I know that it's traditional Catholic dogma and Christian dogma to say hell is eternal. But what does it mean for 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 something like that to be eternal? Eternal. It, it's it may be everlasting, but not eternal because hell is on a different ontological level. The good is higher ontologically than 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 the evil. So it if that's true, it can't have the same kind of reality that, say, paradise has. In fact, the whole basis of a lot of evil is unreality. And and how, how can unreality hold its own against reality? That that's, that's sort of the way I look at it. Which doesn't mean that something like hell wouldn't be something to fear now. Uh, in fact, anytime we fall into illusion and don't want to question the illusions we have, we we tend to run into many problems, to say the least. I was thinking, I was reading a little bit about Dante. Uh -huh, uh -huh. He apparently very much loved his city of Florence, which he was eventually um, prevented from living in. He was sent away from. But then the idea that Florence was a walled city. And so you have something that is a, it has boundaries and it has a built environment and a built civilization, a built structure of thought. And I wonder how that, how that affected his structure in the whole idea of hell and all the rings of hell and the structure of those rings it seems to me to have some relationship to the experience of being inside a city with very definite boundaries and very definite structure and things that happen inside of it and I was you know, wondering to, to what degree that represents an internal experience. You know, is he describing an internal experience that he himself has developed through his own lived experience within a city, within a walled city, in a walled city that he apparently was very uh, close to? That's an interesting thing to say. 
yes, he he definitely Florence influenced influenced who he was, and as you say, internal experience. He he no doubt owed the formation to his soul to having lived in a city like that. That that's very far from say the, my life existence and likely yours. But what I want to say is is it wasn't wrong as such uh, for him to love Florence, but it was a very traumatic and deep spirit experience that moved him forward spiritually to have to leave Florence and be in exile. You know, he died in Ravenna, I believe. He did. He he had to, the the remainder. He was exiled, and the remainder of his life, he lived outside of Florence. Of course, he had nostalgia for it because that that was that was what formed him. But he had to realize, I believe, that uh, Florence is earthly; it's tangible. It, it will what what's what's part of our earthly experience. It's going to pass. We're going to pass. And uh, if he had comfortably stayed in Florence, which would have been a good life. He would not have gotten to the heights that say he gets to in paradise. He might not have even gotten to the purgatorio, or maybe he would have, I don't know. But the whole thing of Florence is, it was his home, his, his earthly home was taken away. And he ended up being in exile on earth, which a lot of spiritual traditions talk about the spiritual traveler is in exile. This earthly life has a quality of being in exile because in our wholeness, we're, we're closer to the eternal worlds, which actually uh, don't have the same contingency about them that our lives do. So that that's that's a lot too of what Florence meant to him. And yes, that it was a walled city was no doubt very important. Jason, do you have any other thoughts about um, how your your book that um, your book I Jenny, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason's book, 16 Maps of Hell, with a rough draft of the exit. And I thought it was very interesting, the kind of similarity between dark ways to dark way to paradise, Dante's Inferno in light of the spiritual path. They both have this idea of the darkness and, and the way through, or the needing necessity, perhaps, of going through that darkness, or at least having a tour of it. You know, those, they both have to do with tours, maps of hell, and Dante's tour through, tour through the levels of hell. Um, just any thoughts, Jason, about uh, how that might be relevant to how what Jenny is talking about might be relevant to what you were talking about in your book? Yeah, I think um, maybe I was 
trying to approach that Jenny when I asked you about hell and whether you saw the way in which our physical or our social reality was was kind of hellish that we were creating a hell on earth is my sense and and we've been doing it for a very long time since the Garden of Eden really and, and so I was born into that and the I, I haven't actually read Dante I feel as I've absorbed a lot of his work second hand because he's been so influential so I feel quite familiar with with what he was doing without actually having read the the, the, the poetry itself uh, but um, so based on that you know what I have picked up about Dante um, and I might, I might be completely wrong here or, or, or somewhat wrong anyway but I think there's a parallel between my compulsion or my need to map hell, as I eventually called it, which was that I I came to understand later in life, throughout my life, that I always had a fascination with darkness, with dark things, but I didn't really know why. And at a certain point, I began to understand that the, the world, and I use that in the Christian sense, as in this world which is not a it's not a benign place it's not a benign system uh, this fallen world had left its mark on my soul I think you were suggesting something or use similar terms about Dante and, and Florence uh, and, so, and so for me to really uh, to see and understand and, and heal and remove or dissolve that stain upon my soul, you could say it would be sin in the Christian sense. The best way to do that, or part of the, the way to do that, was to look at the world more closely and to map the hell I saw in the world as a way of um, identifying the way in which I'd been colonized by the world and to, to purge my own soul and my own psyche of, of, of the infiltration, the infiltration, the demonic infiltrations. So that, that to me was, it was an inner journey that, um, that corresponded with an outer mapping of hell, a trying to, a, a basically a trying to uh, perceive the structures of hell that I was, I, I was trapped in as a soul and as a, and as a human being by looking at my environment very closely and finding out what was hidden among there, you know, the gargoyles that were lurking in the architecture. Uh, and, and, and so hence that's the idea of the exit. Is if, I, if I map it well enough, then I find the way to, to renounce hell, to renounce hell and to turn 180 degrees away from my allegiance, my unconscious allegiance to the demonic and, and move towards God and to life. So I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Is that is there other similarities there with Dante's process? Would you say? Absolutely, because Dante, remember, he goes through hell, and he finds uh, the exit out of hell at the very bottom. He meets Lucifer, and then he, he crawls down Lucifer's leg. It looks like he's going to go right back into hell. It's strange, but no. They find a crack where he and his guide in the book, Virgil, uh, are able to crawl out and end up on the shores of purgatory. 
which is in that that means an expanded vision in hell everything was dark and and closed in but once they even and purgatory is not paradise but nonetheless purgatory where a real purification and a real spiritual path can come about you can see you can see the stars it's it's it's, far, it's more open than where they had been and that that that's interesting suddenly his whole vision of what the world is changes around that and uh, which is actually true to go to begin a, be in a place where you can even be a spiritual traveler your vision has to change otherwise you're uh, you're, you're you're just bound up and maybe uh, some people would say bound up in your own psychological complexes and bound up with what you know spiritually doesn't work and so it's not paradise, but it's a real advance to get to a place where there's a possibility of spiritual development. And uh, I'm feeling with you that, that that's that's what you're talking about. <clears throat> Jenny, you'd mentioned <clears throat> you'd mentioned that your um, your background. You did not have a religious or a Catholic background. Did you want to? Did you want to talk about, or would you talk about your journey? That's a good question. I, I well, what is my journey? I, uh, my parents were Protestants who didn't go to church very much. Probably didn't like church. Didn't want to admit that they didn't like church. You know, so I, 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 I definitely when I was younger, I just. I would go to church and I would just feel blamed all the time, you know, if I saw, I don't think any of us like just feeling blamed very much. And um, anyway, uh, so I got interested. I, I had more artistic or what you might call philosophical, not very deep philosophical interests, but you know, that kind of thing. And when I was young, I got interested in Thomas Merton. That was probably getting interested in something more religious. That was that was what the liberal culture I gravitated toward would allow in any case. And uh, you know, um, there might have been more conservative writers I wasn't paying much attention to. And then I just developed. I got an interest in poetry. Because poetry seemed to bring in another quality. Poetry gets <clears throat> very close to higher worlds, sometimes without quite admitting it. And poetry can be, like a lot of other things, a mixed bag. It can, you know, it can trap you in sort of what I would call a psychic world. I I, I follow writers who say. There, there's there's three dimensions to reality. There's the spiritual, the psyche, and the corporal. Corporal world is what we we live in, we see, you know, with our eyes and all that. And the psychic world is the world of dreams and visions, and it can touch 
if it, if, if it didn't contain something of the spirit, our, our souls would be completely lost. It does, but it's also a world that a certain amount of darkness can enter into. And the spiritual world is, it's pure spirit. It's where everything is right. Everything, uh, it has more order than the sight. An interesting thing, the lowest level, the corporal level, has a kind of order. Uh, like you can, you can see a definite order in nature and things like that. Uh, and, and the spiritual world has order. The psychic, the world of the psyche is chaotic. It's truly a mixed bag. But if you don't go through it, you, you can't. It seems like people who try to say, uh, I go to church, I believe in God, and meanwhile I make my living and I'm, I'm all right on that level. It seems like they end up missing a lot. Part of what I'm calling culture is a way to deal with that psychic world because it seems that if you don't go through that, you don't really get to the spiritual world in a full way. Uh, we talk about in religion hypocrites. A lot of what's creating that is they have a trace of something that sees the spiritual world, sort of identifies with it. They're in the corporal world anyway. We're not, we're not going to avoid that at this point. So what happens is they have an identification with the spirit and then their lives are totally in the corporal, corporeal world, but they don't. The psychic world they don't see, and it, it sort of invades them, and uh, they can't quite admit they're acting on greed, for instance, or or acting on lust, or whatever. All those all those things that get up to be to be problematical. They can't quite admit that because they still hang on to what they know the quality of the spirit is, but they're just hanging on. And they don't see that they've, they've got to, uh, in Dante, this is the importance of purgatory, that if they want to get to paradise, they're going to have to climb that mountain of purgatory. They're going to have to journey through the psyche and see what's in there and, and see where, where it pride, you know, how the, the typical hypocrite, uh, um, is full of pride. And if you look at, say, the Bible or a great many other spiritual traditions, pride is about the worst sin. It, it, it's worse than lust, gluttony, even anger sometimes, although anger is very close to pride. And, and they don't even see that. Because the pride tells them there's no problem there. That's another thing with pride. I'm very proud. Well, what could what could what could be a problem in this? You know, well, uh, this contains about all the problems. This is the basis of all the rest of it. Like in the Dante's Mountain of Purgatory, pride is at the bottom. And in these other 
sins and qualities, envy, anger, gluttony, lust, and all, they develop from pride. They all do. So uh, that, that, that tends to not be seen. of a couple of things when you talk about that one is that um lucifer that was lucifer's sin perhaps oh yes that that was the central thing the very central thing he, he was he was traditionally the highest the highest angel higher than saint michael who we look at as the leader of the angelic world now and uh pride it's what caused the fall. And, and then there's also the thought of um, the Garden of Eden. And I think for me, the most uh, resonant way to think of that has been that um, the apple or Eve's sin, mm -hmm. the apple, I guess the sin was dis disobedience, but taking the apple, which gave knowledge of good and evil. And what has resonated most clearly to me is thinking of that as duality. So going from yeah. 
from a state of uh, enlightenment and connection to a state of duality and seeing the differences between things and, um, and the separation. And so pride also being something that would separate one from, um, from a higher power, from something beyond oneself. It absolutely would, because the pride means you're, you're full of everything. You, you don't need the higher reality. And talking about the Garden of Eden, it, that, that's, that's earthly existence, but it's a, very, it's a different kind of earth than we live in now. It, it, was, it was more supple. Probably our body, bodies, we had bodies, but they were more supple. And one of the things the church fathers would talk about in the fall, when in the Bible it says that God gave them animal skins to wear, that means that they were taking on an animal quality. I know in corny pictures you see Eve with a fur bikini or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what that means is suddenly humanity took on an animal nature in a way it didn't have before. And so we had to live with the difficulties that animals had. We had souls, we had spirits, but uh, we also had that that other quality. And that that made a difference. That that, that meant we lived, lived in a, to be expelled from Eden meant to live in an earth with a very different quality. And, and after this happened, however you envision it, uh, the quality of Eden was still remembered. Uh, there's traditions that Adam and Eve could see Eden in the distance. Eden is a very interesting quality. It, it's, there, there's traditions among monks that the Garden of Eden still exists. Well, how does it still exist? I, I don't think you're going to find it in any of our geographical measurements particularly. But the whole thing of space has a quality we don't realize. And it would be in some dimension like that that Eden would still exist. There's a tradition, I believe, in the East where one one of the monks claimed that he visited the Garden of Eden, which is still there although it's pretty difficult to get there. And he brought, caught some fruit. He brought the fruit back and he and his brother monks ate the fruit. <laughs> so uh, it, 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 it's a very funny tradition. Is that the, is that the same as Shangri-La? Well, you could compare it, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah the same, the, the whole, yes, the whole thing of uh, there being a place in a dimension that we don't quite see. Another a Christian analogy to Shangri-La is, I sometimes read Alexander Dugan, the Russian writer, I do have problems with, but he, he's an old believer, which means in the Orthodox tradition, we have the regular Orthodox church, but these old believers broke away from it during the time of Peter the Great because they didn't like the way it was getting modernist and all that. And there still exists, according to Dugan, 
the old believers have a tradition that there's a perfect orthodox city somewhere where everybody is perfectly orthodox, it's perfectly in harmony. But you're not going to get there via the Trans-Siberian or any other earth or worldly way of traveling. It, it's, it's, it's in its own space. And that, that too, is a quality of Shangri-La. Mm. Yes. What do you think... What do you think we need when you talk about uh, you talk about civilizational Christianity and the need to be surrounded by um, I don't know what you call them reminders or yes yes symbols well, of the divine well just that just that we uh, I don't know how you would do it if if you said hey let's all have a cathedral on every corner or let's all have icons in our houses and all that sort of thing that would be artificial there, there would need to be some integral dialogue between this stuff and our souls which in a more traditional world happens i think i i think the way to go back to something like that is to start with a negative to say you don't want to you don't want to fill your life with celebs and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and you don't want you know that kind of worldly thing surrounding you all the time now we're going to have to have some of that because we live where we do live but to, to recognize that that's not help. That's not what our souls really want to connect with. We want to connect with, some, with something deeper, something closer to God. I think that's the way we would start doing that. I don't think it would be to the point to try and build a medieval city, for instance. I've heard people want to do that. I think that's... <laughs> That probably isn't going to help very much. So you're you're saying to clean up clean up the interior space that is filled with. So if we have a closet that is jam packed, uh, or let's say a refrigerator that's jam packed with junk food. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So you've got yes. to take out the junk food before you can fit the vegetable so, fruit in. Yes, yes. Uh, that, that's what it looks to me. Yes. Mm. Uh. What do you think, Jason? What's your What's your recipe for? Uh, well, that was this. It just reminded me of a thought I had earlier when Jenny was talking about pur the difference between purgatory and hell, and I, I thought the difference for me is the willingness to suffer, because purgatory is 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 a. It may not be voluntary suffering in the sense you don't choose to be in purgatory, but. You're there, like Jenny said, you can see the stars, and, and so you're, you're moving towards something, and the suffering becomes meaningful. Uh, as compared to, to maybe hell, for me, tends to correspond with, with this pride that Jenny was talking about, that people don't even know they're in hell. They're so numbed and disconnected from their souls, they don't even really feel the suffering that would, that would purge them. Um, 
So I, I don't quite know how that does correspond to Jenny's question or to Kate's question, but it does in some some way that uh, well, I suppose because what you're talking about letting go of the things that we have uh, the things that we have allowed to colonize us that come between us and God. That's a very painful process. That is purgatory. That is that is a purging, and it would feel like purgatory. Um, so yeah, that and and to me that, and I don't have a Christian upbringing, and so I don't adhere to any tradition, and yet I do, in my own way, I try to find the meaningful activities, an orientation that, that correspond with a, with a, a, a devout life. Um, and and to me that I mean I was raised very wealthy, had a very cushioned life, and I was raised in an atheistic family. And uh, now in my fifties, I'm going back to nature and trying to get a farm started. And 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 that's a bit like purgatory too. I mean I can like in terms of letting go little by little of the luxuries of society and and the things that I've taken refuge in and just getting back to the basics to me that's that's the best way to remind myself of God is by interacting more directly and more devoutly with with physical reality I hadn't it's so obvious but I hadn't thought of the word purgatory before as having to do with purging that's, uh, that's the whole that's the whole thing isn't it I guess it's the uh, the process and it's process of um, I mean I guess it has to do with identity and ego as well the things that you have taken on as your own and as being yourself Ex examining that and then removing it or, or letting it go yeah. Oh, I would I would think so. I would think that uh, ego, uh, a description like ego Dante, that description of purgatory, as you let go of one ego, then another one pops up. That uh, the ego, the ego is volatile, and if you attack it over here, it will go over there. That kind of thing. And you, you just have to keep at, keep at it, I guess, and keep understanding that your center is the spirit. And that, that's, uh, that's an importance of contemplative prayer to uh, get you to concentrate on the center where none of the images of life dominate. We, ha we have to deal with the images that, that we have that come to us and, and slowly understanding that those, none of those egos are it. None of those egos are, are where you're going ultimately. Hmm. And uh, that, that, that's even true whether or not you've had a spiritual life where you've tried to uh, center in the spirit and you've gone to the emptiness of the center in order to say 
the spirit is what's real. In death, you lose you lose all those egos anyway. And that's why it's sometimes maybe it's terrifying for everybody. I don't know. But that that that's that's part of the terror of death. The loss, the loss of oneself, or what? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, as oneself. Yes. Uh -huh. So, do you think? Does it? Do either of you think that that could be a, a bright side of hell, uh, in the or, or purgatory rather? I mean, if you got to go through hell to get to purgatory, I don't know. But how we get to purgatory and we open up and surrender to reality. Uh, which means letting go of the pride and the scientism and the and the, all of the egos one by one that potentially that and and even the more hellish the world becomes potentially that could happen in life while we're still alive in our bodies so that then death isn't a terrifying experience we're just right there ready for eternity particularly in our time and when you said life gets hellish I love the way scholars like Martin Lings, like they, they studied Hinduism. They said that the Hindu sages of old would say that our time, which they called the Kali Yuga, Christians, we Christians call the latter days. Uh, they said, in some ways, our time is blessed. Well, that's a very strange thing to say. You know, I've just we critiqued all this and uh, there's many supports that people had in the past that we don't have. But what they said is, because we have to live in hell, grace comes to us immediately. We, we immediately see we don't take grace for granted as easily as people might have done in the future. And uh, there's a potential to develop through all this in this life. It's easy, it, it, it was always possible before, and saints certainly did it, but it's more possible for more people in our time because of the horror of our time. Now that, that's, that's a very interesting view to me. So we don't despair. Why, why, did, why did we have to live in such a, terrible time where all the all this evil that's just thrown in our face yes it's terrible but that's the positive side that that we recognize grace immediately we're not going to take grace for granted and we're going to open to it as soon as we see grace our souls suddenly flower and uh, that that that's only a good That's wonderful to hear. I mean, it's really something I've been trying to say my whole life, I think. That there's a bright side to the apocalypse, but I've never heard yeah. it expressed so well. Yes. The opportunities, opportunities of living in a hellish times. Yes. <laughs> right. Did you want to say anything more jenny about um about your book or about uh well i'll show people the book this is the first book dark way to paradise i wrote it some years ago it, it was about 
the journey through hell and um, then after that I did write a book about purgatory purgatorial which I called ordeal of mercy the whole thing of there's pain there's pain in facing the dark aspects of our psyche but it's a mercy if we can do that because we can go beyond them and we can uh, our souls are transformed through uh, accepting that those that darkness is there and it's something we we have to deal with we can't just take for granted that's all right you know and so that's but the ordeal is i don't like to think there's darkness in my soul and i don't think anyone does but what's there is there and hopefully i can go through to what's better and i can value what's part of what goes on in a purgation is instead of valuing what's worldly in you uh, because it seems to give you a lot it doesn't give you ever give you as much as it seems to you value what's good what what longs the parts of your soul that long for the spirit that's what you value and if you can do that 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 changes everything and it can change your life uh, as it has for many people uh, maybe instead of wanting a lot of material goods you'd want a simple life like jason was talking about and uh, li living close to the earth and that sort of thing uh, and that's good have you have you written yet the third book no Paradise. i've looked at it that's that's where that's more difficult it's beautiful like and go to dante's description of paradise it's great beauty but it but it's not easy to get there really you can get glimpses of it but it's not easy to get there is, is that the unwritable book like uh you can't you can't make an image of of um of allah well, I haven't written it yet. I ha I'm not going to say it's unwritable, but I haven't written it yet. All right. <laughs> All no, right. no pressure there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there could there could be something that makes it elusive. I would imagine. Yes. Yes. There could be. I don't know. Yes. Wasn't so. wasn't Dante's vision of paradise? The, the connectivity of, of souls? You, that's a very good point. People aren't isolated. They're not uh, from the lowest to the highest. There's a, there's a connection. That you're right. That, 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 that's a very beautiful thing. And all the souls are connected to God. Because they're all doing the will of God. They don't rebel against doing the will of God. And that's where they find their happiness, is being at one with God. So, yes. They, they, the souls are one with God. Yeah. And 
in a way, in Dante's description, this is interesting, and I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, we, we say, well, in heaven, everything must be even. Things are never even. There is a hierarchy, but the hierarchy is not oppressive. Now, we, we, have, we have political, we have social hierarchies that are extremely oppressive. We don't, we don't, there's no denying it. But in Dante's paradise, the hierarchy is not oppressive, it's open. And uh, uh, in a sense, the people on the lowest rung, which is the level of the moon, because they're one with the will of God, they're in a sense also connected and in relation to the people on the highest levels, the souls. I said people, but souls are people. We, we tend to think that this soul is ethereal, not quite, not quite complete. But your soul is people as much as anything else. And uh, so that, that's the mystery of it. it it's, it's a mystery to us because um, well, our hierarchies tend to be hellish. Let's put it that way. And we get we get elites who want to stomp on us socially and that kind of thing. That that's more what we're used to. And Jason, are do you have anything, any more thoughts to explore? No, I feel that we've we've uh, we've covered a lot of ground from from heaven to hell and back again. <laughs> That's a lot. That's yeah. Jenny. That's it's been very uh, very um, enlightening talking to talking to you and hearing your perspective on this. It gives me uh, gives me more an understanding of um, of my own relationship to the traditions that I was brought up in. Yes. Well, I'm thank you. You you challengingly uh, pushed me to come out. I, I sometimes I I have these visions and I don't articulate them as much as I could and I. I'm glad I could do that. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, me too. I'm glad you did, Jenny. Okay, thank you. I've I've enjoyed this a lot. I have to say, I have. <laughs> Seem surprised. Yeah, yeah, actually, yes. Oh well. Right, that's the end of that conversation for this Limalist. This is pretty much the last Limalist, 298. Uh, I want to go to 300, 
but uh, I'm not going to rush it, push it. So I just keep those last two as uh, possibilities if, uh, if something comes up that really just has to happen. But for now, I might as well consider that. This is the end of the limo, more or less, just uh, a couple more down the way if and when the right person emerges. Uh, if you still want to get your J-Ho fix, you can do that by registering at landmademan.com and becoming a contributor behind the playwall. There are pretty much weekly podcasts there of a different style and flavor, and sometimes they're available to uh, just ordinary passers-by. Not a clean.